Look at with me in Galatians chapter 5, and then let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord. As has already been said, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, God, in your house, Lord. And I pray, uh, Lord, you watch out over us tonight. God, Lord, a little bit of weather. Lord, probably most of it's already passed over, God. And, uh, Lord, the main brunt of the storm, whatever storm it is, God, Lord, i probably already gone by. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's anything remaining, Lord, I pray that you'd keep us safe and watch out over us. And, God, I pray that you'd be with us, Lord, here this evening. God, I, I pray, Lord, that as we open your word, and, God, Lord, we try to direct people's attention, Lord, to you, God. And, Lord, set our hearts and minds, Lord, on the Scripture. I pray that you'd speak to hearts and deal with hearts. God, Lord, we're incapable, Lord. I'm unable, Lord, to do, Lord, for people, Lord, to do for myself, Lord, what really needs to be done, God, during a preaching hour. And, Lord, we pray, God, that, Lord, you'd do that, Lord. We trust to you this evening, God, Lord, that you'd work in the hearts of men, Lord, and, and women and boys and girls, Lord, as needs to be worked. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, I was praying today and uh, I thought about this verse that I'm going to preach out of this evening. We're going to start in verse 1, but that's not what I'll be preaching out of tonight. I was praying a little bit and I, as I was praying, I thought about this verse and kind of chewed on it for a couple of seconds while I was praying and then I stopped and went and wrote down some things and turned into a sermon. So I uh, kind of battled a little bit tonight about what to preach, wasn't really sure, and uh, to be truthful about it, still battling a little bit, but I'm going to trust the Lord and uh, just go with this, what we have right here, and if it's a flop, then y'all can just blame me, and if it's successful, then praise the Lord, all right? So look here with me in Galatians chapter 5 and look in verse 1. The Bible said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Now here's what I want to preach on tonight. He said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. At verse 7, it says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? And I want to preach to you a little bit tonight about ye did run well. You, you did run well. And I, I don't know about you, but every time I've ever read this verse, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard it preached on directly, but every time I've read the verse, in my mind I've always thought of it. As a matter of fact, let me read it, and I'll paraphrase it the way I thought I heard a, something over there. Uh, something sounded like it was coming out of the air conditioning. It kind of made me a little bit nervous. Get a little wide-eyed here. But let me read it to you the way that I, that I have always thought of it in my mind. I've usually read it something along this line. Ye did run well, and you're not running well now. Who, who hindered you? That, that's, that's the approach of which I have usually approached that verse. It says, ye did run well, who did hinder you? And... Truth be told, I believe that that is exactly the sense of the verse. When you look at the context, Paul is, in the book of Galatians, Paul is 
trying to straighten out a church down at Galatia uh, regarding some false doctrine. And we won't get into that tonight, but basically it, it's the false doctrine that you get saved by grace through faith and then yet you're kept saved by works. And the entire book of Galatians, Paul writes that book to get across to you the idea that you're saved by grace through faith and you're kept saved by grace through faith, not works. Uh, if there was anything that you could do to lose your salvation or if there was something that you had to do to stay saved, you would lose it. You say, you say, how can you say that? You don't know me. I know me. And the Bible says that there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. And so what that tells me is that the things that I have dealt with this past week, the temptations that I have had, regardless of what you think about yourself, you have dealt with maybe not those exact same temptations, the same circumstances, but you have dealt with something very similar because the temptations that I have are not uncommon temptations. Yes, sir. People get into this mindset, uh, people get into this frame of mind to where, uh, oh, my soul, I'm the only guy that's going through this. I'm the only guy that has ever had to deal with this. And what you don't realize is that the church has existed. And I say you don't realize it. You're probably thinking about it now. But in the middle of temptation, you don't think about the fact that the church has been around for 2,000 years. And man has been around for 6,000 years, not billions of years, by the way. But he has been around for a long time. He's been around for 6,000 years. And so whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're dealing with, it's common. I didn't say it wasn't a big deal. Because it sure is a big deal in the moment. When you're being tempted, when you're facing things, it is certainly a big deal. And the consequences... God have mercy. The consequences of whatever decision you make is going to have uh, implications after you make the decision, good and bad. You make a good decision, it will have good implications and vice versa. So I believe that in the context, I believe that uh, Paul, having said all of that, I, I said that because I got started on the fact that if you could lose your salvation, you, you could, you would rather. And Hebrews, I just throw this in here about that, Hebrews says that if you can lose your salvation, you cannot get it back. You just open up the book of Hebrews and just read through one time, and you'll look, get around, I believe it's chapter 6, and he said if you could sin, and that would essentially, I'm paraphrasing, if that could remove your sin, there remaineth no more sacrifices for sins. It's over for you. you you're on your way to hell if you could lose your salvation. Don't worry about getting right with God. I'm, I'm speaking sarcastically. I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek because I don't mean any of this. But I'm telling you the idea is if you, if you could lose your salvation, you've lost it. I'm looking at a church full of people who have lost it, and you're on your way to hell. But you can't lose your salvation. And the reason you can't is because it's what Christ did. All of that to say here in Galatians chapter 5, he says, you did run well, who did hinder you? I believe that's the main thrust of the verse. But today when I was uh, looking at this verse, I kind of saw it in a little bit different of a light. It's the same truth, but just saw it in a little bit different of a light. The thing that was emphasized to me was the fact that he said, you did run well. You did. On one hand, he says, you did run well, and now you've been hindered. But he, on the other hand, he says, you did run well. And what, that, what I mean by that is, hey, there was a point in your life, Paul's telling this church, 
he says, there was a point in your existence to where you were doing well. You say, well, why, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that you could derive a great source of comfort from what Paul is saying in verse 7 by the fact of, hey, it, you can do well. Paul's looking at these folks saying, hey, you did it. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, it's very easy. I, I don't know about you, but I am, I am one of those sticks in the mud. I am a pessimist by nature. Uh, I like to kid myself. I like to convince myself, rather, that I do that, that I'm a pessimist because I'm realistic. But uh, just, I, I would say, come live a day in my own brain. But I, I wouldn't want to put you through that much kind of torment. Uh, it's very easy for me to get very pessimistic. It's very easy for me to just look at things and, meh, meh, meh. Uh, my, my, uh, my, uh, Oh, they have a name for it. Uh, somebody that you resemble that's fictional. The, I don't know what term that is. I forget what, it, what it's called. But uh, that individual for me is Ebenezer Scrooge. Bah! Humbug. Uh, that's me. That, that is me. And, you know, in some ways, to, to be fair and balanced, because everybody likes fair and balanced stuff, right? But to be fair, in some ways, that can serve you well. It can keep you from getting your hopes up too high. It can get, keep you from getting high expectations about things that don't deserve to have high expectations. But, you know, in view of personal failure, that's a really bad attitude to have. Uh, it, it's good in the sense of it helps you stay realistic. It helps you stay humble to some, to, in some ways, but, you know, when you go through something and you fail and you bust your nose, uh, it can be a great source of discouragement to you. It can be a source of not just discouragement, but despair to such an extent to where you're not willing to get up and move forward again because, well, hey, I messed this up and, you know, it's just, it is what it is. I'm never going to, uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And, and let me say this, I don't want to know. If, if this is your case, which I'm sure it is, I'm sure it is, I know it is, because there again, no temptation taking you but such as common to man, but I'm sure you've got a vice somewhere in your life. There's one particular, maybe several particular besetting sins that have got, really got a hold of you in your life, and uh, maybe some point in your youth, or maybe some point, whatever age you are, you let those things go, and you taught your flesh that those things were okay, and now your flesh has developed such a strong taste for those things, and it is a booger, for lack of a better word. It is really a hard thing to try and get yourself convinced that, hey, I can't do this no more. Yes, sir. And it's something that you struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. That If you don't fall on a day-to-day -day basis, the temptation is there on a day-to-day -day basis. And it takes great concentration. It takes great focus to try to avoid those things. And, and I'm not trying to let you off the hook. That's bad. Whatever that temptation is, whatever you're being tempted to do, it's bad. I'm not trying to let you off the hook. But I will say this. Uh, you've probably messed up since you've been saved with that particular besetting sin. And listen, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just tell you, you're probably going to mess up again before you go to the grave. That is not a justification. It doesn't make it okay. But knowing flesh like I know it, Paul the Apostle himself said in Romans chapter 7, he said, the things 
that I hate. That is what I do. That is not Paul the lost man. I'm not saying it's right, but listen, if, if the man who knew it all, now there's Christians who think they know it all, but you don't. But there was a man who didn't know everything that there ever has been to know, but he knew everything about the Christian church. That's Paul the Apostle. He wrote the books. Just let you chew on that. That man, that man said, the things that I hate, those are the things that I do. Wouldn't you like to know what it was that Paul had to struggle with? No, I, I really wouldn't. I say that trying to be a little bit humorous, but I really wouldn't. I don't, listen, I don't want to know what it is that you struggle with. I, I really don't want to know. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I, I want you to know so you can pray for me. I pray for you anyway. I, I know that you struggle with things. I don't know what they are. I, I enjoy being ignorant about Christians as far as the, the details of their life. I was talking to Brother Curtis out on, out on the porch on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, and I said, man, I said, there is a familiarity. I think it was my mother, as a matter of fact. Good to have my mama with us tonight, but uh, I believe it was my mother who said familiarity breeds contempt. And that's true, man. The, the closer and the more you get to know about people, man, the more it makes you disgusted with people. That, that's the God's honest truth. You know why that is? Because they're just like you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And when you get up in the morning, listen, if you get up in the morning and look in the mirror and the, and the thought that runs across your head is looking in the mirror, oh, you're so wonderful. You have a problem. And I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm not saying that to be unkind to you. That's realistic. Uh, you get up and you look in the mirror and you have to brush your teeth because your breast stinks and you've got to comb your hair. Or ladies, you've got to brush your hair because your hair looks like Mufasa or Medusa or whoever it is. Right? Well, that's indicative of something that, that's on the outside. If that's what has to take place on the outside every morning, what do you reckon has to take place on the inside every morning? Man, man, we are rotten. People are rotten. Listen, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to let you off the hook. You are expected to walk worthy according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that uh, those things that you struggle with, you're probably going to bust your nose on those things before you go to the grave. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. I hope you prove me wrong. I hope, I hope you can come back right before you die and say, Brother Nathan, you was wrong. Uh, uh, August, I almost said October, August 17th at 7.30. But that's probably not the case. But I will say this. If you have that mindset, if you have that attitude of this is just the way it's going to be, this is just, uh, boy, the, the world is really keen on this stuff. This is just who I am. Uh, there's a difference. Listen to me. There is a difference between recognizing who you are and demanding that everybody let you be uh, a sinner, for lack of a better way to put it. Yes, sir. Listen. If you have some particular besetting sin, it's one thing to struggle with that thing and wrestle with that thing on a daily basis. That is much different than looking at the rest of the world and saying, 
hey, I'm, I just like beer, and you're going to have to put up with that, and I'm going to be a drunkard for the rest of my life, regardless of the inconvenience that that causes for everyone else. It's a difference of attitude. It's a difference of attitude. There's a, there's a vast difference between having something that you look at yourself. Again, I refer you to Paul, Romans chapter 7. Paul said, the things that I hate. He said, I hate them. I hate them. He said, but those are the very things that I do. He said in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 2, he said, it might be chapter 1, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That, listen, that's how I know. That's how I know if you get up in the morning with an attitude of self-admiration, you are not a spiritually minded Christian. You are the most carnal Christian that has existed that you've ever seen. Oh, I just love you. Uh, listen, there's no room. There's no room for self-admiration in Christianity. There's no room for self-esteem. You just need to become your better you. There is no better you, Joel. There is not one. If my better me makes me turn out like Joel Osteen, I might as well just go shoot myself because that means I'd have to go get a perm. That's right. That's right. There is no better me. The best, the Bible says Ecclesiastes, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Uh, now, I've just gone on, which is kind of humorous to me, but I've just gone on for 10 minutes with exactly the attitude that I am prone to. And it's realistic. It's real. It's true. This is just who it is. This is just who I am. But... Paul says here, and this is really the point that I want to get across to you tonight. I hope you take hold of this. Paul says here, you did run well. Paul said there was a point in your life to where you did well. Uh, preacher, I just really messed up, and boy, I just don't know if I can get my life right. I, I talked to a young lady years ago. Uh, she was about my age. And she doesn't even live in the state of Georgia. I don't know where she lives now. I know she's married and she has her own family. But I talked to her and was talking to her about her spiritual life. And she was saved. I, I believe she was saved. But she said, she said, there came a point in my life, she said, to where I had, uh, I really felt like fellowship with God was hindered. This is what she told me. And I listened to her for a little bit. And I asked her, I said, I said well, what did you do? to get back, what did you do to, to get back to that place of restored fellowship? She said, I don't feel like I can get back. And you know, that, that, was a, that was a young lady. I think I was maybe 18 or 19, maybe 20 at the time. I lose track of time. But you know, if that was a young lady many years ago, however long ago it was, if that was a young lady, I guarantee you that there are Christians sitting in churches just like this one all across South Georgia, all across the whole state, across the United States that are going through the motions. They're sitting in churches, and something is not right between them and the Lord. And maybe there's some unexplained things, which, we, Lord willing, we'll get into that here in just a second. But there's something there. And they're just fully convinced. I believe Christ, some Christians are fully convinced, man, there's no way. There's no way that I can get back. And all I want to point out to you is Paul said there was a point, there was a point to where you did run well. Now, here, here's what I want to try to get across to you. I have two simple points tonight. First of all, if you did run well, you know what that means? It means it's possible for you to run well. It can be done. 
This is not a sermon on self-esteem, but what this is, is is a reality check to the fact that you may be throwing up in your own mind for two different motives, you may, but you may be throwing up in your mind saying, uh, there's no way that I can do what I once did. Uh, you remember the day that you trusted Christ as your Savior? You remember the day that you got saved? You remember how wonderful it was? You remember the peace of God that flooded your soul? And you remember the fellowship and the communion with God? You were not uh, a theologian the day that you got saved. But there was something that was different inside. It, well, now you're in a spot to where maybe you're backslidden for whatever reason. Well, man, there's just no way I can get back. Well, you did it one time. You was there at one time. You know, you got to that place where you was running well as the result of one prayer. One prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I'm on my way to hell. I don't know what the words were that you prayed, but that was the, the essence of the idea. Well, what's to make you think that the result of you getting back to the place to where you can run well again is not the result of one prayer? Lord, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. You know what keeps a lot of people from running well? Pride. Unwilling to admit that you were wrong, that you are wrong. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You are not the exception to that. Well, I, I, I know, but I'm going to do... No, no, no! You are not the exception. You're not special. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You did run well. It can be done again. You, you did run well. You did run well. It's a possibility. If there ever was a time where you were right with the Lord, then it means it's possible to be right with the Lord again. I, I will say this. I really wish Christians would lose this idea that there are first-class Christians and coach-class Christians. That somehow that there is a break between this upper echelon, uh, this this upper crust. And that's exactly what it is. They're crusty. If they're upper, they're crusty. But there's a difference between me, the peon, and the rest of these Christians that are living so high and mighty. I wish you'd get that out of your mind because that is, that is ridiculous. That does not exist. I will tell you what does exist. There is a difference between Christians in this respect. There are Christians that have grown in their walk with the Lord. There are Christians that probably have a better understanding that you do. They have more knowledge about things that you do. They have more experience. They've prayed lo longer. They have, they've just lived longer as a Christian than you have. And as a result, they have more maturity. But there is, there is no such thing as these Christians that have gotten this second blessing. Oh, and they're just totally out of the realm of where I'm at. That, that does not exist. It doesn't exist. You say, oh, Brother Nathan, I'm one of those that's in that upper class. No, you're not. You're probably on the bottom if, if that's your mindset. But I will say if your mindset is that I'm on the bottom, well, welcome to Christianity. You have exactly what the rest of us have. You have a sin nature, but you also have the Holy Ghost living inside. The reason that some people look better than you 
the reason that some people act better than you, the reason that some people are more holy and more sanctified than you are is because they've learned how to submit themselves to the Holy Spirit. It's not because they're intrinsically good people. It's because they're sinners that trusted Christ as their Savior. And when, when they did that, God put in them the person of the Holy Ghost. You've been made partakers, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. You've been made partakers of the divine nature. Yes, sir. You say, well, I, I just really wish that I could run well. You can. You can. It's not because you're smart or because, or because you're not smart. It's because Christ is in you. There is, there is no first class. There is no coach class. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It means it's a grand possibility. It's a grand possibility. And then let me say this. This is my second point. Let me say this. Running well is very possibly not as far off as you think. Look at what he said right here. He said in verse 7, he said, you did run well. What's that next word? Who? That's not a very big word. You know, to step over three letters is not a very big step. It's a very short distance. You know what keeps a lot of people from running well, a lot of Christians? It's just a who. So somebody got involved in your life. The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. So, oh, Brother Nathan, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be a witness. Well, be a witness. Be a witness. That's the right thing to do. But being a witness is not going down to your drunken co-worker's house and hanging out while they're smoking dope and drinking beer. That, that is not being a witness. Be a witness down at the workplace while you're working, while you're doing what your boss has told you to do. Don't be a slouch. I'd destroy your testimony, but do what your boss told you to do. And while you're doing that, uh, get up next to somebody and say, hey, Jesus died for your sin. That's being a witness. But, you know, a lot of people, get, they get tripped up. They get tripped up just by a who. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? That's what, that's what gets in the way. It's somebody that gets in the way of your personal obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, let me just tell you, I don't care who it is. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's friends. I don't care if it's family. Nobody, nobody is worth your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody, nobody is worth being able to get out on your knees and talking to your heavenly Father and getting a prayer through. Nobody's worth that. Oh, but Brother Nathan, I really enjoy being around Brother Wyatt. Well, if Brother Wyatt is a hindrance to my fellowship with the Lord, I just have to say, hey, I'll see you at church, and that's the only place we'll see you. Love you, and I'm going to pray for you. Uh, you know, old Abraham got in a place in, his, in the book of Genesis to where he, God came to him and said, hey, he said, you get out of the land of your fathers. And he said, I'll take you to a land that you don't know anything of. And he said, Every, all the place where you tread the sole of your foot, that's the land that I'm going to give to you. And so he left. And you know who went with him? His wife and a bunch of his possessions, all of his possessions. And there was this one little fella, old Lot. You know what? <laughs> you, this one preacher said it this way. He said, when he left Ur of the Chaldees, he left with a lot on his back. And that's right, he, he left. Old Lot was riding on his back. And you know, it got to a place to where God really began to bless Abraham, and then God began to let Lot's 
material possessions multiplied to such an extent to where the Bible said their stuff couldn't dwell together. Sounds like Americans. They had so much junk that it couldn't be together. And it got to where Lot's herdmen began to strive with Abraham's herdsmen. And Abraham came to him and said, hey, we're going to have to part ways. You pick the way you want to go, and I'm going to take the other way. He gave Lot the, the choice, and they parted ways. And you know, when all that strife began to take place, you don't read anywhere in there where the Lord spoke to Abraham. The Lord was very quiet. The Lord appeared when he came out of Ur of the Chaldees. The Lord appeared to Abraham, told him, hey, I'm going to give you a son, and hey, this is my covenant with you, and told him all this stuff. And then when all this stuff with Lot started taking place, God got real quiet. And the moment that he separated from Lot, you know how the next chapter opens up? And the Lord appeared unto Abram in a vision, saying, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What would you think? What, what do you think would have happened if Abraham would have, looked at the, would have looked at Lot and said, well, you know, he's family. We'll just put up with it. I guess, I suppose maybe the Lord would have just kept being quiet until he took care of the thing. I just wonder. I wonder why. I wonder why the Lord has quit talking to me. Well, it could be that you got something going on that the Lord is grieved with. And the Lord's not going to talk to you. He's not going to talk to you until you get that thing taken care of. But the moment, listen, the moment, the moment that you get it taken care of, God's going to start talking to you again. But see, you'll never find out unless you're willing to trust him. You'll never find out. You'll never find out unless you're willing to just take him at his word and say, hey, this is the right principle. This is the right thing to do. I'm willing to just take God at his word. And just go forward and just make the decision. And then see, watch God prove himself. Watch God. Watch God prove himself to you. And what you'll find out is whatever it is that you lose out of the situation of saying, okay, it's time, it's time for me to make this decision. Whatever it is that you lose out of making that decision, what you'll find out is that the Lord will make up so much more than you ever thought he could. He'll make up so much more. Yes, sir. He sure will. It's possible. It's possible for you to run well. You say, how do you know? Because you did it at one time. You did it at one time. And it's not that far off. You know what I, what I have seen in Christians? I, I've been, been saved since I was about seven years old. And I have seen this over and over again. I've seen people get out of church, and I've seen them go their separate ways. And listen, let me say this about that. It's a free country. I thought I'd get some amens out of that. It's free country. You can do what you want. If you want to backslide, listen, if some of you folks sitting in here this evening get it in your heart to just backslide and get out of church, that's up to you. Uh, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm going to be a little upset about it. Because I kind of like you. But I'll, I'll say this. The Lord will be more upset with you. But all that, all that, being said, uh, it's free country. You can do what you want. Nobody's going to come down to your house and pull a, put a 45 to your head and say, you have to come back to church. We're going to be a little upset. We're going to be a little bit brokenhearted. We're going to be a little bit discouraged. But it's a free country. You can do what you want to. 
But what I have seen is people get out and they go their separate ways and then they start trying to get right with God. And when they start getting right with God, they get about a quarter of the way back or they start making an effort to get right with God. And then they find out, you don't realize how far you've gotten from God until you start trying to get right with God. And then when you start trying to get right with God, you look around and say, my soul, did I really get this far? And you begin to realize because of how much work it is to get right with God. You say, Brother Nathan, I thought we could get right with God with just a prayer. That's right. Hey, listen, if you backslide, if you, get, if you get crossways with the Lord, you can get right with God in a sense just as fast as you can get down on your knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. You know what will happen right there? Fellowship will be restored right there. Amen. But you know what will take place? What, what takes place? If you've been out of the will of God for a year, you've got a year's worth of experience and a year's worth of information that's been stuffed in your brain that now has to be overcome. Decisions have been made for a year without consideration of what God said and without prayer, without the leadership of the Holy Ghost. And now, now you've got a year's worth of those decisions that you have to overcome. And what happens to a lot of people, what happens, I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen this happen to in the course of my life. What happens is they begin to get right with God and they get about a quarter of the way through and they say, man, this is too much work. And then they just disappear and you never see them again. Brother Nathan, I think we're going to come right here back to People's Baptist Church. Man, praise the Lord. Glad to have you. I'd love for you to come. And then last about two Sundays or two weeks and gone. You say, what happened? Well, people begin to realize God deals with their heart. I believe it. I believe it. God deals with their heart and says, hey, man, you made a, you made a wrong mistake a year ago or you made a bad decision two years ago and it got you out of church and got you crossways with me and time to get right. And they respond. They say, okay. And then they realize that, hey, there's some effort that's going to have to be put forth. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, hey, I'm not willing. I'm not willing to put forth the effort to get my mind right and get my heart right. So they just quit. Let me just tell you, you can get right, though. The prodigal son goes out, and he gets a long ways from home. Listen, on the way out, it was a short trip. You know why? He had a pocket full of money. Hey, when I go away on a trip, when we go away on a trip, we usually take some money with us to spend. And then when we went on our way home, we're usually dri I'm usually driving back saying, okay, I'm going to have to squeeze here, going to have to squeeze a little bit here. And you know what that does? If you, if you spend thrift while you're away, it makes for a long trip home. Yes, sir. You better stick with your budget if you got one. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you ain't got one, then just, then just be willing to deal with whatever consequences comes. Makes for a long trip on the way home. Prodigal son, the whole way home, he's thinking, man, all I can do is just serve my daddy. That's all I'm worthy to do. And you know what? The prodigal son's daddy got him back home, and he said, no, sir. Bring out the fatted calf, put a ring on his finger, put... Put, a, put the clothes on his back. Hey, we're glad to have him. But you know, his daddy could have very well, just as much, said, yeah, you're right. I think I am going to let you labor a little while. 
He'd have been right in saying that. He'd have been just in saying that. You say, oh, but he didn't say that. I understand. But all I'm telling you is that if you come back and you don't get a, a party, you know, with people wearing cone hats and the whoo thing, you know, that they have at the little birthday parties, well, don't get upset about it. Just get right with the Lord and just hunker down and say, Lord, I, I, want, I want to do well. You did it before. You can do it again. You can. It can be done. Not because you've got all this power. Not because you've got all this talent. But because the Spirit of God's living in you. The same Spirit of God that's dealing with you right now saying, hey, you need to get this right. And hey, you need to have this right. That's the same Spirit of God the moment that you put your foot out in the aisle and make your way down to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, I'm sorry. I messed it up, this up. That's the same Spirit. That's the very same Spirit. It's the very same God that will help you live right from here on out. Yes, sir. It's the same God. It's the same God. Look at what Paul says. Let me, let me close with this. He said, verse 7, he said, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? He said, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. He said, The Lord didn't persuade you to be this way. The Lord didn't trip you up. He said, Somebody else got in and tripped you up. And he said, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now watch it. what he says. He says, I have confidence in you. I got confidence in you. Now, he, he qualifies that statement. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord. But he says, I have confidence in you. Did you know that it's possible for some people to have confidence in you through the Lord? Yes, sir. He said, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. You know, right on the verge, right on the tail end of personal failure, I'm talking about myself. When I get right on the tail end of personal failure and really begin to beat myself up, and I'm not trying to let, let you off the hook about that, you probably should beat yourself up to some degree for failing. You should keep enough regret. You should keep enough sorrow in your mind to keep you realistic about the effects of that besetting sin that you're dealing with. But you know, a lot of times right on the tail end, right on the tail end of personal failure, Something will take place and maybe some Christian that I know will call me and say, Hey, man, I just heard you put this sermon up. and Boy, it was a great blessing to me. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Hey, I made a mess today. I messed it up today. Boy, I tore it. I tore it to shreds today. But it, that wasn't what I did yesterday. That's not what I did on Monday. That's not what I did on Saturday. You can't, you can't dwell entirely on those things. But you know what? You can relish. You can get a little bit of encouragement. You can take some encouragement from your past victories. Paul said, I have, I have confidence in you through the Lord. Listen, let me tell you this. We'll close. When the children of Israel got to Kadesh Barnea, they sent 12 spies in. All 12 came back and 10 said, there ain't no way. There ain't no way we can take it. He said, they said, there's giants in the land, and we've seen them, and they saw us. But they said, there's giants in the land. And you know what? There's two fellows, Joshua and Caleb. You know what they said? They said, we can take it. You know what their, bird, you know what their proof was that they could take the land of Canaan? Two things. Number one, the promises of God. God said we could take it. God said 
If we'd go in, he'd give us the victory. You know what the other thing was? Look at what he did to all these Egyptians. Look at what God brought us through in the past. He said, Brother Nathan, I messed it up bad today. Well, look, look at what God did for you last week. Hey, let me put it to you like this. What about those gospel tracts you passed out last week or last month? What about those people that you've invited to church and now they're sitting right in here in this building? What about that Bible reading that you did a month ago and God opened your eyes to something that was a big deal to you? It's victory. It's past victory. You did run well. You did it. You can do it again. You can do it again. I have confidence in you through the Lord. Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness, Lord. And Lord, thank you, God, for your mercy, Lord, not trying, God, to instill any kind of self-esteem, Lord, in these people, but God, Lord, trying to instill a sense, Lord, of Christ's esteem, trying, God, to get folks, Lord, to see, God, Lord, that the same God that's faithful enough to save our soul and faithful to forgive us, Lord, when we mess up is the same God that's faithful, Lord, to help us get started again if we'll be willing, Lord, to just get right with you, God. It's the same God. You're the same God, Lord, that's willing, Lord, to get us established and help us, God, to get moving once again, Lord, and be the Christians that we're supposed to be. God, Lord, without that, God, there's no way, Lord, that we could be the Christians that we ought to be. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins. Thank you for a Bible. Thank you, God, for absolute truth. And, Lord, I pray that you just take these things, Lord, that's been preached tonight. Minister to your people, God, Lord. Thank you for them, God. Pray you bless them, God. Give them good weeks. Lord, help them, God, to be prosperous this week, and we'll thank you for it. God, spiritually and materially, God, help them, Lord, to be prosperous. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you for coming. You're dismissed tonight. You're dismissed.